I have learned repeatedly from startup after startup that it takes two to three years. So if you have conviction around the hypothesis, don't give up so soon. You know, keep, keep working, keep iterating. Uh, you'll eventually figure it out. In part one of my conversation with Raj Singh, the co-founder and CEO of Loop Team, he talked about his efforts to make remote work feel more connected and productive. In the second part of our conversation, Raj discusses how his previous startup brought him to this remarkably prescient venture and how his company has met the challenge of the product becoming so direly relevant, quite literally, overnight. Raj, I'm excited to continue our conversation and hear now more about the journey that you've been on in the last uh, two, three years. Tell me, uh, first off, was it as simple as, oh, great, I got it, we're, we're launching now, everything's perfect, and now let's let's go? Or what, what <laughs> can you tell me some of, the, some of those kind of stepping points that got you to where you are now uh, three years later? Yeah, absolutely not that simple. Um, it never is. Um, Loop Team isn't my first startup. Uh, won't be my last, <laughs> um, um, but uh, um, you, you know, usually what I tell people is uh, find an area that they find interesting. Uh, and so for me, it was sort of, you know, this this married two different things that I found really interesting. One is meeting productivity, which has been a passion area for me for quite some time. My last company was a calendaring company uh, called Tempo that was acquired by Salesforce. Um, but the second thing was this remote work phenomenon. Um, we had a partially distributed team in my previous life. Uh, and, and I could see that this was going to be picking up. I didn't know it was going to accelerate this fast with COVID. Uh, and so this sort of married uh, two areas that were of uh, uh, personal interest. Um, so then really the next step after that was like, okay, um, what exactly do we want to build or what is this going to look like? And so we just started swimming. Uh, what I, I like to use the swimming analogy. Uh, and the reason I like to use that analogy is if you think of a river, you can either be going upstream or downstream. And so it's much better to be going downstream. So go with the market trends instead of fighting the trends. And so you just start swimming in that direction. And then uh, another sort of metaphor that I like to use is I really think of us like, like we're jello. And then over time, it starts hardening as it's like flying through the air, right? So like little bits fly off and whatever. And you start sort of taking shape. So we just started swimming in this direction of saying, hey, we need to build something to just allow more communication and transparency. And so we had built a, um, let's call it at the time, a web conferencing looking tool uh, that was doing transcription and it allowed you to share the meetings after the fact. Uh, and it was really about sort of creating more information transparency across your team. And then as we started diving in, we said, hey, part of this experience is just the speed of interaction. Part of this experience is the presence. And it just started getting hardening, started hardening further and further and further. And it's an iterative process, uh, you know, and, and in every startup uh, I've had, uh, it's never not taken two to three years before you sort of start figuring out if this is going to work or not, because uh, that's just the time it takes uh, to just kind of go through that process. And there are some resets and there's a couple places where you might take two steps back, one step forward or one step, you know, whatever it is, um, but uh, or one step back, two steps forward, sorry. Um, and, and in the meanwhile, you're revising your messaging and positioning along the way, uh, but it does ultimately harden. And you do get to a point where you can kind of say, you know, this is my positioning and this is where we're seeing people using it and how they're using it. Um, and, and it's very sort of concrete and people get it. Uh, and I think this is consistent across all, uh, <laughs> all startups. I don't think any journey is uh, unlike what I'm describing. This being your, your second startup, um, what hurdles do you see next you're going to have to overcome that, that you were already able to do and that another entrepreneur could learn from? 
You know, I, I so I get this question asked a lot. It's like, hey, Raj, you've been doing entrepreneurship for a long time. I dropped out of master's to start my first company in 2000. I tell them each startup had a different sort of primary learning experience. It's really hard to, it'll take a whole hour to go through uh, each of them, but uh, there are there are some patterns. Uh, one thing certainly is team. Uh, it's really important to make sure, uh, especially the early early folks that you bring on your team are people you think you can work well with, uh, but people who also can push you in the right direction uh, and, and be contentious when they need to be contentious, but not sort of get to a point where it's like very hard to uh, get any work done and you're just arguing all the time, whatever. Team is really, really sort of important. Your best friend may not be your best teammate. Uh, you know, and, and that's very key. And, and that was a lesson out of my first startup, which was out of all college roommates. Uh, and then it just became an egotistical match just because of our age being 20, 21 years old and all of that, right? So, uh, so team is super important. I think too, um, I think a lot of people get stuck in analysis paralysis, uh, which is sort of like, I want to do something, um, but I'm not sure. And I start, a, I look into it and I spend three months and I kind of give up and then I move into some other idea. Um, and I have learned repeatedly from startup after startup that it takes two to three years. So if you have conviction around the hypothesis, don't give up so soon, you know, keep, keep working, keep iterating. Uh, you'll eventually figure it out. And uh, number one reason startups fail is they run out of money. But number two reason is because the founders get tired, uh, you know, and so if the team gets tired, you, you just sort of step back. But so if you persevere, you will figure it out. Uh, you'll figure out an opportunity and niche, is only niche until it's not niche, right? And, and, and we, we see that all the time now. Uh, little ideas that people are like, yeah, maybe 1% of the population would be okay with renting out a room in their house for a vacation. And the next thing you know, it's Airbnb, right? So uh, yeah, that, that's how these things sort of start. Um, I would say, uh, and, and that was a, what I'm describing here, this analysis paralysis, definitely a, a lesson from a second startup. <laughs> uh, my third startup, I remember, um, uh, indecision, or not my third, my last startup was, was sort of something we hit, hit indecision kill startups, which is a really, uh, it, it may not make a lot of sense, but it actually, as your team grows, it's really important to communicate a decision. When you don't make a decision, it actually creates anxiety for other people. So if you're not, sh the natural tendency of companies is to, or sort of uh, first time founders is to, on hard decisions to just delay. Uh, like not sure if we should do this or not sure if we should do that or not sure if we choose this or choose that. So we just delay. Uh, and then they delay and delay. And next thing you know, it's kind of too late. It's actually better to make the wrong decision. Uh, just make a decision. If it's wrong, it's okay. But at least now you can say we tested it or we did it and it didn't work. And then we pivot because it creates a lot more focus around the team. Curious then, as over the years, what are, where have you learned uh, these different insights? What books have you read, podcasts you listen to that, to, that uh, kind of are your favorites or, or you've really enjoyed? Um, you know, uh, I enjoyed uh, the hard thing about hard things. I think that was from Ben Horowitz. Um, uh, there's other, there's a variety of popular business books. I increasingly don't read them. I read the cliff notes because I found, you know, you read a Malcolm Gladwell book on the blink moment, but really the rest of the book is just reinforcing the first chapter, which is kind of really what it's about. And so um, I do look at a lot of the cliff notes, but I will say, um, doesn't matter how many books you read, uh, you're going to make the same mistakes. Mm. Um, it, you could go read Jack Welch's biography on managing, you know, high performing teams or whatnot, uh, what he did, um, and your team grows and you're going to make the same mistakes. You're going to create OKRs and do all that, whatever, but you're going to make the same mistakes. And 
the 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 reason is you can't you just can't it's hard to apply what you read in real life when you're actually in that situation uh emotions come into play uh, you know what your gut comes into play you know thing, things that you may not recognize or realize and so uh you do need to scar tissue is real and you have to get some scar tissue but one thing for sure that happens with repeat entrepreneurs with your first startup every time you have an up or a down it's like super exciting or it's like you know you're 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 super depressed you get a little bit better about managing that you get you get to a point where few things make you really excited uh you know you're happy whatever things are growing but few things make you really depressed because you're so used to the ups and downs after a while uh i hate to say it, you almost become sociopathic because you become sort of emotionally emotionally immune uh, uh to the roller coaster but but uh um uh, my, my best advice here is the books are great. You know, maybe read the cliff notes. You don't need to read them in detail, but honestly, what's even better is just to go start building. Awesome. L last question I have for you. What kind of tech innovations do you predict we will see overall tech innovations in the near term, next year or so, and long term, like five, 10 years? Over the last five to 10 years, they've been talking about AI. Uh, that's a term that obviously comes up a lot. And I feel like we're hitting a point where it's moving from a category to a layer. Um, and I think that's a, that's a big deal. Um, and what I mean by that is for a long while, it was only X, Y, Z engineers who could do AI. But now the tools and the frameworks have improved so much around, uh, surrounding AI uh, that people out of college, people in college, high school kids can incorporate elements of AI into their experience. Um, and I think this is going to have uh, a significant sort of productivity gain uh, across the world um, from, from very simplistic things, uh, you know, to, uh, I don't know, self-driving cars, as we talked about, you can think of that simplistic uh, to more, more complicated things. But, you know, just, just the, the thought experiment I like to tell people is envision a product in your house, anything you can think of, your clock, whatever, how would that product become better if it had access to AI? Like what would it do differently? What would it do differently if it had access to location or if it was connected online? And Amazon's been doing a great job pushing our minds forward here. They've taken all these devices and made them internet connected, but really the next step is AI. You know, if I walked in my fridge, how could it do better if it had AI? Well, certainly it could reorganize everything in the fridge for me uh, to make it easier that the expired items come to the front or wh whatever it is, right? Um, and so that's always a good thought experiment to think of. And I think this trend is not a um, sort of next year, next, it's, it's going to be going on for the next five or 10 years. But I think, uh, uh, you know, an analogy I used to use is in 2007, uh, when the App Store came uh, from Apple, it was 2009, but before, before Apple, even the, the carriers at app stores, they used to have a category called location. And these were applications that used location data. And today it's sort of hard pressed to even think of like what application wouldn't benefit from knowing location, right? Everything uses location data. The same thing is happening now in AI. That concludes the audio version of this episode. To see the original and more, visit our Uptech Report YouTube channel. If you know a tech company we should interview, you can nominate them at uptechreport.com. Or if you just prefer to listen, make sure you subscribe to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app.